We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Mystic by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Yeah, I'm slightly more unemployed than I was last week, which is always fun. Woo! Woo! Good times. So much Sunny so times in the city. <laughs> On a cheerier note, though, your awesome pop music article is finally up. Yeah, why do you think I had time to write it? <laughs> so you want to tell uh, our, our listeners a little bit of what they can expect from your piece? Uh, you can expect a really long preamble, which is probably going to scare almost everyone off, followed by uh, basically some of the more interesting examples I thought from the past 10 years or so of um, series employing pre-existing pop, rock, jazz music. I, I use pop music as sort of an umbrella term, but there's some grindcore in there, so <laughs> feel free to take issue with that. Uh, basically, non-classical is all pop really means mm -hmm. in, this, in this case. Yeah, and there are about 10. 10 or 11. There's some combinations. I talk about Mad Men and Louie in the same bit, and Buttheads and The Walking Dead in the same bit because I enjoy <laughs> combining things. Because you, cause you can. And, and really, how frequently are we going to be able to discuss uh, 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 Walking Dead and Bunheads in the same breath? Not often, I don't think. Not very often, I no. wouldn't think. So that's fun. It's also, of course, still uh, pilot month at Sound on Sight. And I finished my final review that I said I would do. Like, of the shows that I yoinked and said, I'll write, write up, I finally finished all of those. There are 12 of them yeah. <laughs> over the she next couple of days. My last few should go up. Um, I think in the past week, what, Justified and Terriers and um, Friday Night Lights all went up. Several more have, I'm I'm sure. Uh, but if, if there are, we're, we're going to continue this through the beginning of, of Fantasia, which is about the same time as... Uh, as as comic-con so if there are any shows that that you or any i should be more specific are there if there are any pilots that you love that you think are fantastic pilots that we haven't written up yet let me know how many can there be let me know there's a lot actually there's a lot let me know and i will consider I, i'm not promising that i will write up something because it's your favorite but if it is your favorite let me know and i will probably watch it and make a determination if i have enough to yeah. say about it for it to be within reason if you, you email know. us and you're like the cult pilot was the best thing ever then the, you well then like i said then i will watch it and make a determination in which case i would say no that's the cult pilot is not one of the best pilots ever made if i'm going to put my name on yes i think this is a great pilot it needs to be a great pilot been a crazy week for Twitter. I heard from a lot of you guys. Thank you so much. Um, Ken, just like a million things, but uh, but one of those was he he's pitched uh, a I think it's like a USA type procedural, right? Culkin Howell, where where we're crime solvers who use our TV observing skills or something to catch criminals. Uh, yeah, but then he, he he wanted us to be like a likable duo, which I don't think works. So you're gonna team up with Ricky D, and I'm gonna be the 
You're going to be our Lassiter? (laughs) Or the Sipowitz or whatever you want to do with that. I'll be in the back smoking cigarettes or something. Good times. Um, We heard from Virginia. Thank you very much. She wants to know if she should watch um, Pushing Daisies, Southland, or My So-Called Life Next for her summer viewing. I I went with Pushing Daisies. That feels like the most summery of those. Do you have any thoughts? The correct answer to that question is yes. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Richard says we should check out Gravity Falls, and so I did, and we'll talk about that later in the show. Alana liked Much Ado. Glad you did. And uh, Randy and I bonded over a a, a shared thought for for Big Carl. I went out to dinner with my family um, this week, and the wine portions were, like, my sister got a glass of wine, and it was a crazy big glass, and I was like, Big Carl! And nobody in my family watches Cougar Town, so... So thank you, Randy. I appreciate your <laughs> your sympathy in that moment. I, I like how that turned from like a moment of camaraderie to this sad family <laughs> anecdote. <laughs> That's what happens when you watch crazy amounts of television and all the normies around you don't. Um, but I'm sure some of our listeners can identify with that. Um, let's see. I talked with Keith, who really enjoyed our Orphan Black season spotlight. He's kind of catching up on some of the, the episodes he's gotten behind on. Um, that was with Leanne Bonet-Star. So glad you enjoyed that. Keith, um, Amanda p- pitched the Supernatural pilot for me to, to consider, which I will. I remember being very, you know, I went in with zero expectations. So I don't know if, if I thought it was a good pilot because I had such low expectations or because it actually is really good. So I'll have to consider that. I am, I have been considering Supernatural for Make Simon Watch for our two-year anniversary show on the podcast. Because it occurred to me, I was going to do some several other options. But this is the only opportunity to make you watch a show that is currently airing. Like the back, so because it's not going to happen on a DVD shelf yet, so I don't know. That is true. I know. That is true. Um, and you've already said what you're going to have me watch, but um, I, yeah, I'm still thinking about that because so, I have to, I I have to I have to be uh, I have to do some pruning. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Jean Pierre suggested Dead Like Me, Boomtown, Crime Story, Hill Street Blues, and the SVU pilots. Um, I actually watched the Hill Street Blues pilot, and I while yes, it changed television and especially for its time, was a very good show. I really couldn't get over the misogyny of it. So that's why I didn't, I chose not to write it up. Um, but I do specifically remember the SVU pilot being really good. Of course, Dead Like Me, we, we did our DVD shelf about it. And I, I haven't seen Crime Story, but I did really like Boomtown while it was on. Um, so clearly, with based on that company, I should check out Crime Story. Have you seen it before? I, I haven't, but uh, speaking of old cop shows, uh, there was a commenter on our on our uh, top ten so far list, which we haven't mentioned. We yeah, we should mention we did that. Uh, who uh, who brought up a show from the late sixties and early seventies called Adam Twelve? Have you heard of this? Yes, I have. I've never seen it. I all I know is cop show. It there's a whole bunch of it on YouTube, and what's cool about it is it's so exactly a late sixties, early seventies version of Southland. Like literally, cops riding around L.A. Like, exactly the same sort of scenarios you'd see on Southland, except with, like, wacky 70s music and <laughs> and production values. It's really bizarre. Interesting. It, it, I mean, it's a totally normal show and probably a little bit ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. But just in the context of having seen stuff like Southland, it's kind of hilarious. Interesting. I will uh, I will have to check that out. Um, but, yes, we did put together our, our mutual top ten of the year so far. And that's we it. We don't like arguing. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that sound on site and uh, that should be up in the feature things so you should be able to find that pretty easily along with your with your pop piece simon um but let us know what you know what you thought of the year so far and our picks and what your picks are Everyone has been very respectful so far. I expected I at least one angry comment, but it's been a few days and everybody's been, you know, maybe I would say something different, but these are really good too. Like, I I guess we have really, you know, respectful, awesome listeners and, and, and readers. Yeah, or maybe the gag order I shoot is working. But uh, we should also, I don't know about by the time this goes up or not, but we, we're also plotting a sort of best of the rest, you know, great mm-hmm. episodes from series that didn't make our top 10 uh, once you see what the top 10 is, it'll be very obvious what's going to be on s- some of the other list. A few of um, them, at least, yes. A, a few of them, yeah. A few of the ones that you'll be like, what? <laughs> Aren't being, at not being there. Yeah. Uh, w- which I will admit I milked in the intro. But yeah, um, yeah. anyway, it's been a ridiculous year already. Yeah, definitely. Ridiculous. We also heard from Steph, who gave up on Family Tree and Inside Amy Schumer this past week, but she loved Mad Men this season, and, and it's says it's her favorite um, so far. Um, Shannon was one of the people. I, I would say your 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 feedback, Shannon, but I don't want to spoil what's in the top 10 for those who haven't read it yet. Um, but I will say uh, that, yes, I agree about the shows that you said were very good and would make your 10 um, that we didn't have. Those were very good, too. They just didn't quite make the cut. Um, Tickle Talk, who... I can't remember if you've told me your name, Tickle Talk. Your you know, like normal you know, actual name. But uh if if not, I would love to, to know it. Or I can just keep calling you Tickle Talk. That works too. It's a adorable uh I don't know if you want it to be adorable, but it is. Twitter handle. Um and and that person recommends the American baking competition, which I haven't checked out, out yet, but they say it has some, some uh a good balance of, of actual competition and without a bunch of bullshit drama and also that you can actually learn some cool stuff from it and i'd like to bake so i will check that out it's i imagine it's hard to fashion bullshit drama out of a competition where most of the cooking is happening in a thing that you don't move no with the heat what no no saying no okay i mean do you remember to have chef just desserts pastry chefs be crazy oh yeah Definitely. And Mario has recommended that one as well. Uh, so I'm going to put I'm going to put the American Baking Competition on the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll for this week. And hopefully it will get a bunch of votes. And the final thing is uh, I was pondering whether Fox should be all caps or just regular capital F regular OX um, and got a surprising amount of feedback about that from Kevin, Amanda, Alana and Ken. I am aware that that is not an acronym and is a person's name. While it is not an acronym, it is an abbreviation because they are the Fox Broadcasting Company. The trouble is that while the Fox Broadcasting Company is Fox is not in all caps on their website, in all of their promotional materials, on their desired hashtags, it always is all caps. So it's it's not as straightforward as it um, may seem. But I did appreciate the the feedback from that, and I'm probably just going to do whatever the hell I want on that, and not really <laughs> worry about what the if there's an industry industry standard. I I figure I'm just gonna kind of go based on how I feel in the moment, <laughs> and, and do it that way. I think that 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 works. Yes, she's pretty much a rebel, guys. I know I rebel in, in the most inane ways, don't I? <laughs> but um. 
We have a fabulous, lengthy segment at the end of the show this week with Mo Ryan, um, of course, from the Huffington Post, as well as Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, talking about um, the fall, Rectify, and Top of the Lake, tying in sort of with the article uh, that Mo wrote recently about B-Movie TV and sort of the all these wonderful surprises we've had in our television watching uh lives this year so that'll be at the end of the show um so we should probably dive into our week in tv such as it is yes dude did you see that that thing was a dinosaur bro how is it possible a dinosaur survived 65 million years did you see it mr pines mr pines it it, it took him took what the pig it took waddle what'd you say about waddles <laughs> Oh, whoa. Awkward silence. What's going on? Why are you standing around all awkwardly? And where's Waddles? Um, uh, the good news is you're getting a puppy. This week for comedies, we watched Inside Amy Schumer, Terrible People, Wilfred Suspicion and Sincerity, Family Tree Indians, Venture Brothers, OS I Love You, and Gravity Falls, Land Before Swine. Uh, what uh, would you like to talk about? Uh, well, I I didn't get to Gravity Falls, so I'll let you deal with that in a bit. It wasn't the strongest week for comedy for me. Uh, in, I mean, I know that we've been digging uh, Family Tree lately, which I had some problems with this week, particularly the way that the show can't seem to make up its mind about how sharp or how dim the O'Dowd character is. Because, boy, is he ever an idiot <laughs> in some huge parts of this episode, but... Um, in my favorite parts of the episode, which actually involved him and the Amy Simons character, he's sharp and witty and appears intelligent and not like an asshole or an idiot. <laughs> and uh, just, I feel like they take his his cultural ignorance a little too far. Like maybe that's the sort of thing they should let the supporting characters deal with the you know sort of the brunt of, and then mm-hmm. have him not be so much in that. Direction. Am I the only one having this problem? I'm not having as much of an issue with it. Um, perhaps just because they've brought on his friend whose name escapes me at the moment to be even more of an idiot. So by, you know, just by comparison, O'Dowd always looks better. I've been enjoying the, oh, I have Native American great-great-grandmother. Well, that explains blah, blah, blah. And that's been a continuing thread throughout the, the season. I guess I just maybe I'm more willing to go with it. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I mean, I do think that the the way that people are are so overeager to use uh, stuff that has nothing to do with them to explain things mm-hmm. about themselves that may not even be true. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good that's a good source of humor that they can they can go back to that well as often as they like. But uh, in general, I'm having some trouble with the character. I I think overall, my favorite this week was pretty easily Venture Brothers, which is going to be a trend for the next five weeks probably. Uh, I thought it was a really fun, action-packed episode. Uh, once again, for you, I felt kind of bad because so many callbacks. But I can also I, – I, I think of you when I watch it. I think, is she going to get that? No, but I can see how it's going to work anyway. Um, and I I really enjoy um, – I'm, I'm actually kind of sad that uh, that they took Hank's speed suit away because I kind of enjoyed that as a visual gag. It's his destiny. <laughs> I I – know that there are a million references I must have been missing in, in this episode of Venture Brothers, but I still really enjoyed it. Like we've said, each of the past several weeks, they're doing a really good job of writing both to your crowd, people who have seen almost all the series, most of the series, um, and 
people like me who have not seen any of it. They're doing, they're balancing those two very well. And um, I'm sure at some point if I catch up with the series, I'll just have a lot more fun with these episodes even than I am now, but I am already really enjoying them. I, w- I will say that the, the accountants, the, the big bads who show up at the end are relatively new, at least as like, as a major deal. So that, that at least you're, you're on the same page with major deal. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Those seem pretty straightforward. I don't know. I, I just, it's it's a really fun show, and it, perhaps it helps that I just kind of go with it. It was hilarious listening to Hey, Watch This, which is, of course, a podcast with friends of the show, uh, David Bax and Paul Goebel, listening to them talk about Adventure Time, because Paul just doesn't get it. You know, like he, he under, He's like, and he says this about Adventure Brothers in the most recent episode, t- too, that he he sees why people he watches these shows with are laughing, but it just it isn't funny to him. He doesn't get why... This is supposed to be hilarious. And um, and I was thinking about that while I was watching this. And I just, I'm so happy to go with them on this stuff. So maybe that's part of why I'm not feeling like I'm missing anything, not having the, the previous, um, the previous years of, you know, relationship with the characters. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go along for the ride and I'm laughing my butt off every week. So clearly they're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And the preemies were creepy as much as they were just straight, straight up the precogs from Minority Report, but still creepy. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, and Tank Top. I chuckled at Tank Top. I have to mention that. <laughs> yeah, um, such an easy gag, but yes, but it's still I still laughed. I want to mention also Wilfred, just the dog park. And I just, you know, my sister is one of those people who who thinks dog sweaters are adorable and and things and so uh yeah i just uh, so much identification <laughs> you know in, in this second episode this week sincerity with what was going on on screen i just thought it was hilarious um and i look forward to watching that one again any thoughts on wilford this week uh, I, I, I laughed at both episodes. I am worried, though, because I feel like when Wilfred is at its best, it combines being crass with being kind of also insane. Um, and these these two episodes, they're crass and they're funny, but they're also I found them kind of formulaic. Like you kind of see where the whole episode's going to go based on its first five minutes mm-hmm. uh, with some, you know, some fun side trips here and there. Like in, in the first episode, the many, many uh incredibly profane dog and baby jokes which i really dug and uh if they taken that any further would not have been able to get away with so i appreciated that but i i I want a little bit more insanity in my wilfred so hopefully that's going to be amping up over the next few episodes my fingers crossed i'm looking forward to going to the wilfred panel at comic-con hopefully this this year it was a lot of fun last year and um we'll see we'll see how things progress with the you know it's a new showrunner so We'll, we'll see how, how things progress. And then the final show that I have to mention is Gravity Falls. Uh, I just, I've been hearing so much about this show and I haven't seen any of it until now. Have you seen any Gravity Falls? None at all. Um, and it's, I, I watched this episode. It's, of course, all I knew about it beforehand was animated, ridiculous voice cast, and including Kristen Schaal as one of the leads. And I loved this, this episode. I thought it was awesome. I think you should check it out. And, uh, it, it featured, um, cause it's, it's, it's a, you know, theoretically a kid's show, right? It's about, um, these, this brother and sister, I, I think, Dipper and Mabel, who are kids who are staying with their great uncle, Stan, their grunkle Stan. So grunkle Stan is constantly being <laughs> said, which is just a funny word as far as I'm concerned. Mabel has a pet pig, Waddles, 
who this week oh and then they're staying in this um i think it's like it's northwest like portlandy kind of um town that's out in the middle of of nowhere that has a bunch of supernatural phenomenon so this week dinosaurs pterodactyls uh, came back uh to life at least one and 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 then the pterodactyl uh kidnapped waddles the pig in the like 30 seconds that Grunkle Stan left the pig unattended when Mabel ran out to the store. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's really creative and fun and I'm very glad I checked it out. So kind of like with I mean, Adventure Time where I would not have checked it out if people hadn't poked me into it. This, this week I discovered Gravity Falls and I look forward to watching some more of it. So yeah, very definitely, cool. definitely good. Speaking of Adventure Time, I just want to quickly mention that I watched that again this week. I just I just found out that this season is double length. It's 52 episodes oh, long. Oh, wow. And will also feature a 45-minute TV movie. That's awesome. So they're just, they've just gone insane this year. I, I don't know how they do that. but um, So I was expecting this to be the finale, but nope. And I just wanted to mention that the last second and a half or so gave me the best belly laugh I got all week. So that was worth something. So that being said, you're still giving your comp- your pick of the week to Venture Brothers. Still going to give it overall to Venture Brothers, but I, I did enjoy that, and, and also, it, I and I can't front on an episode that featured an honorable knife fight to the death. <laughs> I think I think I'll give it to to Gravity Falls just for the discovery factor, though I did enjoy most of these episodes quite a bit. Um, so let's take a break and come back and talk genre and reality. So if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Putting on the wits. Different types, you wear the day coat, pants with stripes and colorway away coats, perfect fits. Mm, putting on the wits. That's where each and every Lulu Bell goes. Every Sunday evening with their swell clothes. Coming elbows, hundreds, picks, a rock of animals, fuck with sticks and umbrellas in their mitts. This week for genre and reality, we have Under the Dome, Into the Fire, uh, Siberia, the pilot, and Cult, Going to See the Wizard. We skipped True Blood this week after hearing some less than stellar buzz. Um, and then after we finish with the genre, we'll we'll talk a little So You Think You Can Dance Top 20. But first, Under the Dome, into the uh, episode two, Into the Fire. I have to say, I, I I laughed my butt off reading your your tweet about your your least favorite part of the story right now. Uh, would you like to share with the listeners? Oh, junior, 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 junior. Oh, junior. Um, this and I mean, really, all, all I said was people were discussing on Twitter. I think it was Mo Ryan and someone else, and I just said, you know. If, if the, if, if a, I'm trying to think of how to explain it exactly, but just imagine that the dome is sentient, is like a sentient being, and it just, it opens a, you wouldn't call it a window, more like a trap door, like a slide <laughs> trap door on the top of the dome, a really big one, big enough for one of those Terry Gilliam, Monty Python, Feet of God, and Junior's just walking, and he just gets crushed, and no one is sad, not even Jim, his father. <laughs> No one even acknowledges it. It's just over the the uh, the the doom shelter or whatever that Lux is trapped in. It just opens, <laughs> and that um, happens between episodes. I've decided it's, it's not oh, even like I want even see to it see. I want I want just the pleasure of seeing the Monty Python animated foot. But but wouldn't you. it be 
that can that you you might see it on the previously on. Okay. But yeah. um, but or it could be just as good if every once in a while somebody just walks over Flatten Junior <laughs> and still doesn't say anything. <laughs> But anyway, this was not as good as the first episode. No. I don't think there's any disputing that. And and the first episode was just okay. Like mm. it was it was an all right pilot. It was solid, it. you know, introduce the world. There's, you know, yeah. premise this here. Week, man, not not only is it troubling on a plot and character level, but even the acting seems a lot worse this week. Yeah, not 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 as hot. Maybe it's you know, wasn't as uh, there wasn't as much time, maybe or thought put into some of the the choices. And I don't know, maybe if the just the director last week had uh, better rapport with some of the cast. I I don't know, but uh, one of the best things that I've heard about Under the Dome recently, there are two very promising things I've heard. One of which is that Natalie Z will be joining the cast around episode nine, and of course we love her. 109 justified and um also that they are not using the same ending that, that the dome comes from somewhere different it's you know it has a different you know the the solution or the answer to the dome is different than in the book so therefore that tells me that they are not afraid to change significant things from the book so i was hoping that in this episode we would have junior confront barbie and just get killed and just yeah Break from I the mean, story that, entirely. Easily the best part of the episode is watching him get his fucking face pounded in. That was great. Yeah. Unfortunately, it only lasted about you know, a minute. Yeah. And then we got <laughs> to go back to Porbit Robertson chained with the least convincing looking chain of all time around her ankle. You're telling <laughs> me she can't get that, that little, that not particularly tight loop of chain around her ankle? She's oh. just a girl, Kate. She's oh my just a God. girl. She chose a suitcase to, to hit him with, and then she just kind of <laughs> knocked him over. She didn't make sure he was, like, knocked unconscious or anything. I mean... Well, and not to mention she has an excellent opportunity to kick him in the face when she's up the stairs and she doesn't and she take it. she doesn't? Oh. And also, when, when, when he comes in, like, beaten up, she has... she she I, I know it doesn't last long, but she still has, like, a half second of, like, oh, what happened to you? Like... Why do you care? He's Why oh do you my care? god! He's kidnapped you to his rape shelter. Come on! <laughs> yeah, clearly she uh... has some, some daddy issues. You know, I was picking up on with uh, with Barbie last week, but I mean, and I, I actually like that our ingenue character is you know has some less than healthy relationship choices that you know she tends towards. I think that's more interesting than maybe uh, what they've set up with her for her brother, you know, with the brother, her younger brother seems way too precocious. But yeah. um, oh, when he started, I mean, I guess that is ac very accurate to a particular type of, of teen. But when he started being like, we'll map the trig, you say, fascinating. Let's map the, the circumference of the, I mean, nobody thought to do that. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I actually, I like all the scenes. Of the, actually, I thought the best parts of the episode were the scenes of people actually trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And like be rational. Whereas, you know, the end of the episode was just. Uh... It was just painful. I did like that one of the very first things that happens in this episode is we see them trying to dig under. I'm glad <laughs> that just got out of the way. I was very glad that like, so, so choices like that. And then having in the second episode, us find out that yes, water does get through, but just very slowly. You know, I feel like answering some of those problems or those questions right off the bat is is a very smart move and gives me, you know, some some hope. But then they do stuff like that terrible ending. Yeah. So hope we're hoping for better things next week. Yeah. But not so not so promising under the dome. Not great. <laughs> not great. 
<laughs> not great under the dome. Um, similarly, not great, but not terrible, I would say, is the pilot for Siberia, which is actually sharing a time slot with Under the Dome, which is kind of hilarious to me. Uh, did you get a chance to check this one out? I did. Um, unlike most new drama pilots, it's not um, something the Antichrist might have devised for our singular <laughs> torture. But it's not great, like you said. The I think it, I think the ideal for me with this pilot would have been maybe start with the reality format for the first half or three quarters, and then when shit starts to go down, then maybe switch to a standard drama format i think that would have worked for me mm -hmm. but if they're gonna stick with the reality format the entire time all i'm ever gonna think is who's editing this yeah how did they get it back to the post-production house yeah why how are their intertitles like i'm, why I'm already are thinking things time on having one-on-one -on -one reaction interviews that are so carefully posed and staged i mean yeah there's just i should not be thinking about this at all no no I do think that it's an interesting setup and premise. I think, you know, there could be, a, it, it could be fun. Um, we should say that it's basically like a, Im imagine if something like The Amazing Race or, or a, just a reality More show. like Survivor. Survivor. Really. Okay, Survivor. Um, people sign up for it. They show up and then somebody dies and nobody seems to care. Um, so imagine that. I think mean, they're stuck in the Siberian wilderness for several months, right? For a summer. And with only really rudimentary tools and supplies and there's a monster or something. There's mutated frogs and we'll see what happens. But um, that's the premise. It's a solid premise. But yeah, I agree with you. Some of the, I mean, I'm, I'm already tired of the, the person who's clearly going to learn to the, the era of his ways and that he should help out his fellow, you know, Sir Siberians. I don't know what their terminology is going to be. Well, you know, <coughs> Sawyer. Um, yes, yes. Majorly, Sawyer isn't majorly. supposed to be the main character. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but still, like not the worst thing ever. But still, it's it. I it always bothers me when, I mean, and maybe this will change later. Maybe they'll have fantastic explanations for stuff. But it, when I'm immediately thinking about what's wrong with your premise throughout your pilot, somebody that's yeah, somebody hasn't done enough work there. Yeah, and then the final genre series we have this week is Make Kate Watch Cult, Going to See the Wizard, <laughs> which I gotta say, I enjoyed watching this just because it's so ridiculous and kind of terrible. I was That's why I put it as an option on the poll. I People were not happy with the options on the poll this week, but I, I stand by them. And it was Cult 1, and, and it was just ridiculous, and, uh, and I mean, Alana T Tal Tal is trying so hard, <laughs> and I, I really appreciate that. Um, she, she plays the, the lead of the show within the show. But, I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's also actually really interesting to see what these writers, the writers of this show, seem to think people want to hear about, or like how they're depicting these mysterious, shady, you know, uber creator types. I mean, I think that's interesting, but it's just not a very good show. <laughs> There's only one way Cult is going to turn out interesting, it's that when we finally meet the real Stephen Ray, he's played by David Simon. <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, just like watching our two leads, they have zero chemistry with each None. other. None. They have like negative chem. I mean, if they, if they seemed like they hated each other, that would be a type of chemistry. But 
clearly there's this one moment where they're on a laptop and there's all obviously supposed to be a ust unresolved sexual tension beat but no it's just sort of like a look at each other the computer beeps end of moment it's like <laughs> was there supposed to be something broiling under the surface because it nothing nothing was there yeah, this episode I noticed was actually written, uh, the teleplay is credited to creator Rockne S. O'Bannon, and man, if this is like the efforts of a guy who's invested in his concept, I'm scared of the other episodes. Yeah, well, and uh, I, I do feel the need to say, Farscape is really good, which is the <laughs> show that he, you know, the previous show that he created, um, and, which I'm sure at some point we will cover on the DVD shelf, but uh yeah, this. I mean, I did enjoy enjoy it from a, a pure camp and ridiculousness level. I mean, it sounds like I was talking to you earlier. You didn't make it all the way through the episode. No, no, I got like halfway through, and I was like, uh, like my brain just started, like my synapses just started being like, really, dude, and just punching other synapses, and I just started skipping through until I got to the end, and it was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, how is um, this different than say True Blood, which has also been ridiculous and terrible? Uh, well, True Blood is at least kind of funny and gory and, you know, like moves quickly and has, you know, 30 terrible plots as opposed to two. Okay. So it's, I feel like it, it at least keeps my brain feeling like it's entertained, even if it's it distracted. It yeah, distracted. Exactly. Whereas <laughs> Cult lingers on stuff too long. And I, I do find it hilarious how every, when the show starts, and I assume it's like this every week, you have no idea if you're watching the terrible show within the show or just the terrible show. <laughs> that's also called cult like it's it uh, oh oh and i I'll, I'll give some points to robert nepper who it seems like is kind of trying mm -hmm. kind of yeah you but yeah whoo it's an interesting failure i guess this is what I'll, I'll i'll say about about cult i do think there there is a fun show with this premise it's just not this one no, no. it is not i do want to find out how it ends though are you morbidly curious uh, no, I'm not even. <laughs> nope. Nope. Fair enough. Let's move on to So You Think You Can Dance, which had its top 20 the first uh, week of competition last week or last Tuesday, I should say. Um, and and I, I loved watching this. I had so much fun with the episode. I can't wait to watch the next episode tonight. And I just I so enjoyed the fact that I watched this immediately after putting up the, the podcast last week, which was late thanks to the riveting events of uh, filibuster in Texas. Um, so I finished editing the podcast way too late. The next morning, first thing I did is I woke up and watched So You Think You Can Dance. And so immediately after we criticized the group numbers, because they're always terrible, they have an awesome group number. Yeah, that was pretty great. And I, I, I like when whenever they they sort of go out of their comfort zone a little bit and have like an, a pretty elaborate production number that involves apparently the entire backstage and i do kind of wish they'd gotten all the judges in on it they did a little bit i only spotted mary no nigel was doing oh, animation oh i didn't spot that somehow yeah no it was it was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> and I, I assume you meant animation in quotation marks um the uh the actual numbers themselves i thought were kind of hit and miss the first couple and the last couple seemed to be strongest there was sort of a saggy middle section i thought interesting because i thought the the opening hip-hop uh no not hip-hop what was the opening number jive I, I was i was less than impressed by the jive though i do very much enjoy mariah i think she has so much stage presence and 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 such great character but that's 
mean, I I, I felt like um, one of the top 20 um, dancers, one of the men is as a jive dancer. And I felt like I, I could like feel him watching this going, oh, honey, <laughs> to, yeah. you know, the, 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 the two uh, dancers. But that second that second number with the blindfolds was amazing. Yeah, that was pretty. Odd. I mean, it's pretty easy to get. I mean, it's. I, I kind of almost want to deduct points for the gimmick, except that it was really great. And it's, it's just things like the handoff, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, man, if that hadn't gone off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering why it was so early in the night. And I, I determined, I think the reason they put it there was that in case anything went wrong, it would, you know, they don't want to end on a weak number. So I think they were like, well, we better make sure in case they miss each other somehow this could go horribly awry let's yeah. put we it don't want it in the first night. we don't want it first because that would be a fiasco but we don't want it last because we don't want you to remember so second sounds good <laughs> also i mean i love Vini's waltz i i love uh i, I love waltz anyways uh, i love playing waltzes i love watching people dance waltzes i learned how to Vini's waltz while i was in prague and um i think i think it's just ridiculously gorgeous when it's done well i don't know that this was the most uh amazing vini's waltz but every time i i went back to that number i enjoyed it a little bit more and and so uh that was one that i i particularly remember i actually thought pretty much all the numbers worked for me the weakest i would say was um the the hip-hop number with the the female tapper who i enjoy yeah they didn't seem into it yeah, it's which is too bad because I both they seem like they're very talented, but they not not too hot this week. And yeah. I also wanted to mention that last number was gorgeous. Uh, yes, the last number was really good. Not too much swag in the hip hop number, as they mentioned. Yeah, the uh, the Viennese waltz I thought could have worked, but the music choice just killed it for me. Like, see, for me the could... first time, but then the second time through, I liked it a lot better. Like, yes, I get that it's technically a song in waltz time, but you know, really, you couldn't. Have... The trouble is when they do, because that last season they had this fantastic Viennese waltz with George and I want to say Tiffany. And the trouble was that nobody, I think it was waltz, it might have been Foxtrot, I think it was waltz, so nobody voted for it because it was it was with actual waltz music and they did a wonderful job and the judges were like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then it was both dancers were in the bottom. and And so I think this was their real attempt to do a Viennese waltz while recognizing that if they use actual waltz music a significant portion of their audience just goes Ugh, that's old uh, which is yeah i get that i i suppose but still did they have to do avril Levine? anyway <laughs> the uh, as for the judges i know you have a problem with wayne brady I he was useless i don't think he was totally useless i mean i i could have gone without stuff like where were you when i was 20 but um yeah I do, but I kind of like it when he digs out uh, sort of like old Hollywood references and things that other people wouldn't think to talk oh, about. Oh, that bullshit comparison to Sid Charisse? Are you kidding me? That was the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That that number, it was a cute number, but it was not challenging at all. And to compare that number and those performances, which were fine, they did what was required of them, but to compare that to Sid Charisse and Gene Kelly? Are you freaking kidding me? That was ridiculous. I was like, Wayne Brady, you gotta go. All right, well. I, especially because I had watched some Sid, Sid Charisse just a few days prior, and honey, not so much. With that choreography, they can't pos- I mean, you know. All right, well, I guess I know who I want to be judging next week. <laughs> Sorry, I, I have opinions, and then I, I say them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man. Okay, so who who would you send home? Oh, the hip hop people for sure. Definitely. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I can't wait to watch. I'm I'm totally sucked in. Uh I thought the choreography for the, mo- for the most part was very good and um yeah, I look forward to I look forward to the rest, the rest of the season. Um oh, I forgot to ask what wins your week in genre? Oh. Um wow. I'm going to sit out this one. <laughs> take a knee so you think you can dance wins genre wins genre, genre is dance awesome <laughs> genres dancing yeah all the other shows could use more dancing to be honest oh well they, I, I feel like most shows could use more dancing i just like dancing so you know good times <laughs> well before we go to our extra long uh i guess season spotlight season slash series slash season spotlight <laughs> With Mo Ryan uh, from the Huffington Post. A few show notes. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. We have a, we'll have a post up at soundonsite.org for this podcast where you can leave us comments and let us know what you thought of all these various shows. <laughs> I want to know who's with me about Sid Charisse. I'm sure there's like one person listening who's like, yeah, preach it. And everybody else is like, you're crazy, Kate. Probably. Let me know. Um, also, we have an MP3 and an M4A feed in iTunes. The MP3 is unchaptered. The M4A does have cha- chapter breaks, so you can skip around between different segments of the show without getting spoiled. Um, we would very much appreciate any uh, feedback we could get there, any ratings or reviews. It does help other people find the show. It's been a while since we got a new review, so we would maybe, maybe for my birthday. My birthday is this weekend. Yeah. Hook, hook, hook a girl up with the uh, iTunes rating or, or review. Also, you can reach us by email, theteleverse at gmail.com. And we are both on, on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are at Soccer Hell. We also have a Facebook page. You can like us there to follow the various reviews that are going up at Sound Site TV. And uh, Simon, what should our question of the week be? Uh, well, since I finally got my pop piece up, I guess I'm just curious as to whether people habitually notice or care about the music that series employ and if there's any that they think do a you know if there, is there a great show that annoys you with the way it uses music or uh anything like that especially soundtracking you know throwing in pop and rock songs in there and just which shows overdo it etc cetera, etc cetera, if you think about this stuff at all basically cool let us know um now we're gonna take a break listen to some music and a clip and come back with mo ryan of the huffington post to talk about the fall rectify and top of the lake Holden confessed to killing Hannah. The sentence was vacated on a technicality. Oh, God. This boy was just a baby when they put him in. 
He's on death row for 19 years. Been through a lot. There are people around here, Mom, who want to see Daniel dead. Nothing about this has ever been normal. Watch yourself. You can't even tell if it was real or not. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we're doing a three-part sort of mega DVD shelf looking at three different series from earlier this year. First, we're going to talk about Rectify and then The Fall, and then we'll finish with Top of the Lake. No, Never fear, we'll keep spoilers to the very end, so don't worry if you've seen one of these but not the others. It's all good. And here to help us with this, uh, fresh off a lovely piece that I'm sure we'll also discuss a little bit about how these shows fit into this theme of B-Movie TV from the Huffington Post. It's Maureen Ryan. Welcome to the show. Hello. You came back. Me. I came back. Thank you so I much. I had to come back. Something about Lost. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned your piece already that you wrote about uh, B-Movie TV. Um, mm-hmm. For those who haven't read it, well, they should read it, but <laughs> do you want to give a brief you know, synopsis of the idea? Yeah. Um, I think that sometimes... I, I know that I get really distracted by the idea of like, what is the future of television in sort of big, you know, capital letters. And I think um, quite often the future of something sneaks up on you from the side or from, you know, from, from a direction you're not expecting. So, you know, there are these big changes happening in TV. What are we even calling TV? Is it Netflix? Is it streaming? Is it whatever? Is it going to be online? And to me, I kind of, um, that's all interesting to ponder for sure. But there's been this wave of shows, I think it's maybe like a third or fourth or fifth, I don't even know what you want to call it, but there's obviously sort of like the Sopranos, FX, HBO wave was first and sort of redefining TV. Then you got kind of um, other networks into the fray and then AMC with Mad Men and Breaking Bad. So there's been kind of several waves of television. What I think is really encouraging right now and really interesting is that a lot of second and tier and even fourth, you know, fourth tier networks. I'm not saying that as a qualitative thing. I'm just ter- saying in terms of size, reach, influence. They're all commissioning things. They're all importing things. And this isn't necessarily stuff that's just on air. It can be um, Netflix importing something like The Fall. It can be things that you find on Hulu. I mean, I just think that there's a lot more churn and a lot more excitement. To- kind of going on for me i mean there's there's always going to be the big things that draw a ton of heat and attention you know if david milch decides to make another series on hbo i will be there with bells on you know (laughs) if david chase decides to make another series i will be really interested to see what that is but i think we're kind of passing out of this golden age a lot of which was i think very male focused and focused on kind of status and masculinity and how you define those things and you know, that was all really fascinating, I think. But right now, I think we're in an era where people are using very um, known forms, you know, sort of sci-fi structures, mystery, thriller, te- even techno thriller, even uh, out of left field sort of independent movie things like Rectifier, Top of the Lake. There's just a whole, uh, uh, and then of course crime. You know, there's that's always a standby, and people are still finding new ways to come at that. What I think is interesting is that a lot of these things are made for not much money. Some of them come from abroad. A lot of them not only feature women, but kind of women front and center, and you know they explore issues and ideas and concepts that I think are fresh. And to me, that's. Um, as I as I ramble on here, I mean, to me, that's kind of what I look for. I think 
um, as a critic, what really excites me is when kind of a new wave of ideas starts to percolate amongst creators and, and people who watch TV and care about TV and make TV. And I, to me, that's kind of what, what I'm trying to grapple with. And I, you know, thank you for your kind words. I hope I made a good first crack at it, but I think there's a lot more to be said about um, these these shows that take formats and genres that we know in kind of on a B-movie budget and with a really um, sort of scrappy B-movie attitude, do interesting things with those familiar shapes. Yeah, and I think there's a lot, you know, just looking at these three specific shows that we're going to, you know, dive into here and get a little more in-depth with, they they are all a bit more contemplative than maybe we're used to with their pacing. They're just doing what they want to do, and they all feature these really fascinating central performances um, mm-hmm. You know, with with Top of the Lake and The Fall, you have that extra dimension of this really exploring some of the gender politics of of what these central female characters are experiencing. I think there's some of that as well ex- explored in Rectify. But for for me, all three of these series came out of nowhere. I think another show that'd be mm-hmm. fun to discuss with this would be Orphan Black, but we already talked about yeah. Orphan Black. And, and Ryan McGee and I just talked about it in our most recent podcast. If I can, you know, just <laughs> yeah, of course. pimp that out for a minute. Yeah, so we did a big old segment on that I, I that to me i didn't really write about it as much as i wish i could have this season but it, i definitely will be all over it when it comes back very much typifies what we're talking about well and then there's also i haven't caught up with it yet but and a lot of praise for continuum I, you know i've been hearing in the mm-hmm. genre world and then i also just thought of immediately of lost girl as another sort of b movie yes. feel I, I meant to i meant to mention those shows i mean i just i kind of want to didn't overload or overburden my piece with too many references but, <laughs> But definitely Lost Girl was something that came to mind. Um, also Defiance, I think, came to mind for me as well. Um, a lot of the, yeah, all the shows that you mentioned. And again, I think to me they are really typifying or or embodying this idea that it's great to have a top-of-the-line budget and, you know, all that kind of thing. But I think if you have a really good idea and you really have interesting intriguing thoughtful ways that you want to explore that idea then you know to me to me too often i see things that obviously like a ton of money was spent on them but for whatever reason they aren't all that engaging you know what i mean they don't really grab me whereas i think these these are just a wave of shows that are um I care about the characters for the most part. They're not perfect. And sometimes these budget issues do kind of crop up, but overall I think I'm willing to give them all a break because they really have gotten a hold of something original somewhere in the, in the, in the scenario of what they're trying to do. Yeah. I think, and this is by way of trying to segue into specifically talking about rectify. There's a phrase you use that I I think really got at the heart of why I wasn't all that satisfied with Netflix's house of cards. And it's the idea that it plays by the rules of good television. Yes. Um, and I, I said that a different way when we did our review. It just, it felt as though Netflix chose an existing property and chose a bankable star and then did the safest possible thing with both of those properties, with, with every single thing at their disposal. I really agree with that. <laughs> and got a totally middle of the road, um, you know, product with a few good moments and a lot of hackneyed ones and nothing all that offensive and nothing all that gripping. Uh, whereas Rectify, I think, especially, which is actually probably my favorite of these three shows, although I do like all of them a whole lot. Um, I think Rectify 
takes a, a lot of really familiar elements and does something quite radical with them, especially in terms of pacing and in terms of what it does and doesn't prioritize. I mean, uh, like some other shows we'll be talking about, it's ostensibly a mystery series, but it really doesn't, it is in absolutely no hurry to uncover anything about the mystery, about the mystery aspect. It, at the pace it's going, it could take 20 seasons to get everything <laughs> sorted out, or it could never get sorted out, and that would be totally fine. I think you're right, and I think what I what kind of unites a lot of these shows is that they're not paying lip service to the idea of character, and I think that this is something that the broadcast networks, kind for a lot of reasons, kind of have to do because they're all about like supplying the you know close ended one hour thing that you solve the case or you do the thing, and there's some attention paid to character, and I'm not dissing you know network dramas in general because there are many good ones and even a few great ones, but I think. A lot like Rectify is a show that was not just going to be about a a procedure or a structure or a mystery. It really cared about conveying to you what it was like to be Daniel and what it was like to kind of re-emerge from this exile from the world. And it wasn't it wasn't faking about that. You know what I mean? It was, it, it had the courage of its convictions. And sometimes, you know, you could sit there and, and almost laugh a little bit at like how slow paced it could be. But it, I think it was so achingly vulnerable and so beautifully fascinated with the people in, in it, in this world that I had to give it so much credit because it, it, it really was, something about human nature and how people relate or don't. And I think that that to me is just, it was going for something profound and, and that that's earns it much more credit than say a house of cards where I felt like through much of house of cards, like I know what is coming. I know, I know this take on human nature. I kind of understand it and I'm not saying it's a bad one or even a wrong one, but I feel like I've been here before. And we've seen plenty of other shows that have at least one part of a story storyline be somebody gets out of jail, perhaps wrongly convicted, perhaps just out on parole, and they have it's a hard time transitioning. We've seen that a million times before. Well, and we're seeing a storyline like that right now in The Killing, and it's Peter Sarsgaard, so it's entertaining. But I but it's have a pretty good. Like at, there's there's one or two ways it's gonna go, basically. Yes. Whereas this, you know, this actually feels like you're experiencing what that would be like. I think there were some clear parallels to a show like Life, which, you know, again, also very clearly focuses on that central role of that person potentially wrongly convicted in life, wrongly convicted, who is released after a long time in jail and how different they are and how changed their perspective on the world is. But this, you know, that was the network version. This is the Sundance version. And I think it's just fascinating to, to, you know, that central performance from Aiden Young is amazing. But even just outside of that, watching everybody in the whole family, everybody else in the show react to, to this really difficult situation is just, I keep going back to fascinating, but I think it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was like, you know, the return of Daniel was this, rock dropped in a very still pond um but that pond was only still because people were kind of keeping a lid on a lot of their emotions or trying to just keep going day to day and and get through like the horror of have you know having endured you know this loved one in prison or having lost a loved one you know so the town was just trying to keep 
keep it together and keep going. But him coming back, it was all about how it disturbed everything, you know, how it made things difficult. But within that, it was also really beautiful. And I think, you know, one of the things I was writing about, too, is that I think so many of these shows are about reaching for a connection, you know, and I find it, someone made the observation to me just really briefly, I won't go into Orphan Black too much, but that in the, in the hands of different writers, um, Orphan Black could have been about people, a group of people who ended up in, at each other's throats and competing with each other, whereas it ended up being about people who made these a series of very unlikely connections. And I think that's why I kind of root for the characters in these shows, because um, they face down these dangers and these um, conundrums together and it's difficult to do so but they kind of try to find a way beyond um, their their difficulties or their lack of understanding in many cases yeah. I, I think a really good example of that is, is also the most unlikely one in Rectify which is uh, Teddy Jr who you know obviously for the first three or four episodes even he's he was actually my biggest problem with the show because he kind of seemed like a caricature or a cartoon especially compared to some of the other characters seem like such a almost a stock antagonist, but then I, I actually found by the end of the season I was almost rooting for him in a strange mm-hmm. way. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I love that, I and mean, I think that that's one of the things that you know, if we're calling it television or Netflix or whatever we're calling it, I mean, to me, it's just a relationship that you can have with a story and characters over time. And, you know, not that you can't have that with, like, the three Lord of the Rings films, but those came out over, like, what, like 11 years. <laughs> this is a relationship you can have with, like, six hours or 10 hours or 12 or whatever. And it feels much more um, intimate or or it can have much more impact over that sort of sustained number of weeks or hours or days or however you want to watch the show. And and uh, to, to go back to, you know, the rules of TV, I, th- I think – Something else that's interesting about Rectify is, I mean, obviously TV anti-heroes have been done and done to death. And to this point, they're a cliche in and of themselves. But I think Rectify's take on the anti-hero, if you want to call it that, is actually a lot more interesting than most. Because it's not that he's an anti-hero. It's that we have no idea if he's a hero or not. We have, I mean, and what's great about it is, and the brilliance of it, and we have to credit uh, creator and writer Ray McKinnon for this, and he's a legend in his own right, you know, the show works equally well whether he did it or whether he had something to do with it or whether he had nothing to do with it, although that's the least interesting option if you ask me. Yeah, I I agree, and I think um, to me what's interesting about the shows and, you know, I don't ever want to come off as someone who's got like a one-note sort of, you know, cause that I have, which is, you know, like, oh, ladies on dramas or, you know, like women and TV, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Because I, you know, like, I just, I, if I've ever advocated for that, like, more diversity behind the camera, in front of the camera, or whatever, different kinds of characters, is because it makes for better stories. And I think that that's what I'm kind of seeing with this stuff is that, you know, like, Bletchley Circle is about a, a bunch of women who worked in code breaking in World War II, and then in the 50s they get back together to use their code breaking skill to crack cases that the police are kind of honestly too preoccupied or too biased or or just too uninterested to solve using like sort of data manipulation or, or an analysis. So to me that's like a really fresh idea, and they're fighting against an interesting, you know, this whole idea of 
um, these men don't want to see how a kind of institutional blindness is allowing certain things to happen over and over again. And so to me, it's like it, 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 to have characters who are different and have different points of view from each other and represent a broad range of ideas that to me just brings different kinds of conflict, different kinds of, you know, ideas about how people can conduct their lives. And that's how you get drama. And I think one of the things that's most beautiful about rectify is that it's just so complex. The way that Ray McKinnon handled it is that this could be a story about um, a guy who couldn't contain or deal with um, a relationship and, and maybe killed the girl, or it could be a group of people. Or, I mean, you don't really know what makes Daniel tick, and I think that he doesn't necessarily know either. And to me, a lot of the most interesting male characters on TV today are not sort of in that anti-hero mold. I mean, of course, you know, Walter White and Don Draper. I think are so fascinating. I'm not like, no, I'm all done with them, but I'm, um, I'm done with Don. Some days I am, but, but to me, I think, you know, I think there are a lot of characters in TV shows that I find interesting that are, they feel trapped by the definitions of what they should be. And I think people expect Daniel to be one thing and he's not that, and he doesn't know what they expect, and he doesn't know what he's evolving into. So I think there's this kind of idea for me um, spread out in a lot of the shows that I'm enjoying a lot lately that what are people's expectations for themselves? What are society's expectations for how men and women should interact, um, how they should be in general? And I think a lot of the characters um, are questioning these things, but because they're kind of in these you know, low-budget, low scrappy dramas. They're doing it within a context where the story is definitely moving you forward. So it's not necessarily about that, but there are interesting questions that get asked. Well, and when we talk about the different sort of representations of, of intergender relationships, but also just women in general, a show like Rectify, you have these three central female performances of, of Amantha, and that name, and Janet, <laughs> and, uh, and also Tawny, which are three so completely different women that function so well within the story. And mm -hmm. we, we do need to move on to our next show, but there are two things that I, I have to mention before we do. First of all, the discussion of religion and mm -hmm. faith is so respectful. And then that respect ties over to the way that each of these three shows treat their audience, mm -hmm. but especially the way that each of these three shows treat the victims yes. in these cases. Yeah, they really care. And it's really... Um... Like you see the effects of violence on people and on communities. It's not like it's played down. And I think that's definitely a thread that I saw in the fall on top of the lake and um, Bletchley Circle, to just name a few. But I think that that's a great point that um, there are there's real respect for how these things don't just go away and get tied up neatly, which is kind of what television drama, especially on the networks, kind of tries to teach us is that there's, well, well then we caught the guy and boom, it's all done now. It's really not like that. You know, these things just kind of reverberate through time. And I just want to add, I, I totally agree with you about um, Rectify's treatment of faith. And I think, um, you know, Friday Night Lights had a really respectful uh, treatment of faith. It's just something that we really rarely see on TV and again, you know, why not? <laughs> Can, you it's, know? it's not just respectful because that sounds kind of boring. It's also detailed and, you know, you have conflicting philosophies. You have 
you know, Daniel just sort of discovering what the notion of salvation might look like after, what was it, 18 years spent basically denying even himself as an entity. And all that stuff is just, it's the sort of thing that I can't think of another series that even wants to think about tangling with those ideas. And and to me, that's so great because it's like, yeah, why not take that thing that nobody else is – take that that object that no one else is examining and do that? Because like, boy, if I see another anti-hero drama, I'm just going to like smack myself in the head. You know, I, like take something like Faith, like – you know, like just – in just like why not? I understand that maybe why not because executives shy it's away hard. from it or it's, it's, it's hard. People don't know. People don't necessarily have that experience but – I'm always like, why not, you know, the, the stuff is around. We all, you know, we all have these areas of experience in our lives that sometimes TV just does not ever go into. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, I am as devout as Tawny or whatever, but I'm just saying I think writers are kind of channeled into certain narrow parameters. And when they're not, we're getting, you know, some of the results of that the last certainly like 10, 15 years. But right now, I think is especially fertile time for that. I've been brought in by the Metropolitan Police to lead a review into the investigation of the murder of Alice Monroe. We've had our share of murderers in Belfast, but never anything like this. I love you. Love you, Daddy. No one here has the experience she has. Welcome to Belfast. Killer is out there somewhere, and we have nothing at all. Two professional women killed in their own homes by strangulation. If we don't stop him, he will kill again. Did you have a busy night? Quite busy, yeah. It's about power and control. Do you have any idea of the effect you have on men? It thrills him to stalk these women. Haven't you heard? There's a strangler in the pride. To break into their home. What could be more intimate than squeezing the life from another human being? we should move on to our next show so let's talk let's transition into the fall of course these two have the element that they're both continuing series fortunately both renewed for a second season um rectify in the fall so i look forward to catching up with both them them in their second seasons but i feel like whereas rectify just from the opening moments i had such a strong sense of what this show was um and and really what it's what its priorities were and everything. It took me a little longer to get into the fall, but by the time we got to episode three, even I was so fully on board with the central performance from, from Jillian Anderson. Of course, we've been loving her on Hannibal as well, but also just the way that it starts out feeling not too dissimilar to the myriad serial killer shows that are on the show, the air right now have been earlier this year, will be later this year. But then I feel like it's sort of, uh, I don't know. I just I think that when the way that they juxtapose those two central figures of the cop and the killer has made for really compelling television. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's been um, I, I agree with you. And most people I've talked to about the fall seem to kind of fall into the similar pattern that the first couple you're like, OK, I think you know, I like Julian and you know, like maybe a little bit um, not not lacking in enthusiasm, but just maybe, you know, more fully on board <laughs> in like episodes three, four, and five, perhaps. I feel like it's one of those things that takes a little while to really get going and be immersive. But then once it does, it really um, hooks you in fairly. And, and I think another thing that, um, you know, this has in common with, say, 
Luther, prime suspect, um, even, you know, the, I, I can't, I, I famously didn't like <laughs> how the killing conducted its first season, but I think, um, aesthetically it was, it was kind of, you know, beautiful to look at, rectify similar thing. Like, I think that aesthetically there's some really interesting things happening with how people are directing these shows, how they're immersing you in the characters' lives in the fall kind of, um, <laughs> falls into that into that as well i think especially a lot of things that come from the uk anymore um i think have a really or the scandinavia have a really interesting tone and um palette i think hannibal kind of is trying to be a little bit in that world though even maybe more heightened but there's a lot of great um imagery and directing going on in television right now and i think um the fall was really carved out its own little niche in that regard well, I think um, when people say they have trouble getting into it at first, I think part of the issue is much like The Killing, uh, some of the other shows, it's incredibly grim. I mean, you're spending half the show in the company of a serial killer, and uh, the, and obviously the, the Gillian Anderson character doesn't, She's not exactly uh, a wise cracking detective or anything like that. I mean, she's... No, she's not. There's no not, when when it's set in Belfast. Don't expect much comic relief. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, even and Bruce Bolton shows up and he doesn't help either. Surprisingly, um, but um, I think of the of the shows we're talking about, I feel like uh, this is the one that most. I mean, only two of these shows are are, are continuing. Uh, and this was the one that was most maddening in its length, I think, because although it's also interesting, you know, going forward when it does its next series, the show could be completely different or it, or it could keep doing exactly the same thing. Uh, maybe we'll keep following Gillian Anderson and this other character. Maybe we'll follow someone else. Maybe we'll follow an additional person. Uh, maybe the case will be wrapped in an episode, which frankly... The season ends where where the series ends feels like it really only needed one more episode to wrap the case up. Yeah, I mean, this is honestly it's a continual thing I have. Like, I feel like in the UK they're willing to commission things that are maybe a little bit more adventurous, more character based, um, have a more aesthetically um, interesting look to them. That all that kind of great stuff. The downside is they're often too short. You know, I mean, I feel like Luther has suffered from this kind of its whole short life and that it like had a six season episode six episode season now then it had a four episode season and it just feels like um i i was saying this to my husband the other day i wish you could take a uk showrunner um you know like abby morgan who did the hour and give her enough money in time to do 10 or 12 episodes of something because i feel like if you could, could unite the cleverness the ambition the aesthetics with frankly the budget and the scope that american series can can have like that would make me really happy but oh but that's <laughs> nobody okay. listens to me <laughs> but that's okay because julian fellows is getting an american series you guys oh so it's all fixed now yeah <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that this series does and this central figure of uh of julian anderson's character uh, that i find so interesting and maybe this is just because i have my my uh you know feelers out for this in in media but i think it's really difficult to find to to see interesting and and truthful seeming lead female characters with a lot of power 
who don't get pigeonholed into just being bitchy mm-hmm. or being, you know, if, if this was a man, you would treat him better. You know, you would you, you could do the exact same thing. It's just basically taking a character, coding them as male and then having them be played by a woman. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think it's a really tricky line to to show like this character who has clearly has a sense of authority and command in her workplace. There's some some men who maybe aren't too happy with it, but it's not that she's overbearing or, or you know, she, they, they do a really good job with writing that character and make, making her authoritative without being basically a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they, and they don't go all the way into the, um, I guess, male hysterics that we got in the awkwardly in the early episodes of American prime suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but although something that I had a sometimes had a hard time with while also enjoying with the fall was um, the way that Julian Anderson's character will, Sometimes when when talking with her with her male uh, coworkers will just will just underline to them what is sexist about what they're saying and that they should maybe consider not saying it. And and while I'm watching scenes like that, I'm thinking, I admire that the show is willing to go there. I sort of wish they didn't feel the need to be that explicit about it, but I admire it at the same time. But I mean, the truth of the matter is, um, I mean, I've had to have that conversation with people many times in my professional career. And honestly, I wish I'd done it more. And so I think you own, not that exact conversation, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, you know, I find that it's, you know, if you want to succeed in any work environment, you have to negotiate how people perceive you. And then you build up a bit of social capital. And do you spend any of that social capital on, you know, basically critiquing and or trying to gently correct people? And that's something that she has to negotiate as well. And and honestly, if there's something I found not believable about um, the fall, it's that she has risen this far. A character who is not that accommodating and not that solicitous of other people's opinion, and also, frankly, that attractive, I think that she, in my experience, people like that set off a lot of alarms and because people don't know what, how to classify you. It's like, well, wait, you're not sort of kowtowing, but then you're also really hot. And you're like, it's, it's, it can be, <laughs> and I'm not saying that um, all colleagues, male or female would react poorly to that. In my experience, there's a fair number that do well, because they just don't know how to take someone who's both that assertive and that attractive. Well, and one of my favorite moments of, of the, of this first series is that, a horribly awkward scene with her superior, I want to say, um, in the ladies' washroom, notably, where, <laughs> where he says to her, you know, because they had a, some, something happen to them in the past, and, and he says, do you have any idea the effect you have on men? And she doesn't say anything, <laughs> but I don't think it's the first time she's had this conversation. <laughs> right. But in a weird way, I think she kind of doesn't. I think she's one of those so work-obsessed people that, she she does there are a lot of perception issues that she is aware of and that she does think about but i think i don't think that that she's harping on that in her own mind about like how i affect people you know like as much as maybe the people around her so yeah she's there are some some areas of self-awareness that she's not really fully you know fully i don't know cognizant of i guess well or or even that she this is her fault that she's attractive and therefore these these men are maybe doing things they shouldn't do or following around trying to to please her it's not 
it's not her fault that they're mm-hmm. acting like idiots. It's mm-hmm. it's the same exact you know thing that they say part, part of the episode. Well, he's married. Well, I didn't know that. You didn't ask. He didn't tell me. It's not my job to ask somebody if they're married when right. they come to my hotel room. Yeah, and they're making a point of hiding it. Yes. Um, one th- another thing I find interesting about the fall is that if if it has a problem with the way it portrays gender, it might actually be the opposite problem from other series, where or maybe not opposite, but uh, at least different, where. You know, other shows don't give their female characters uh, a serious point of view or they don't feel like real people. And here, nearly every male character, I think, is a little bit, is is either two-dimensional or um, somewhat evil. Yeah, <laughs> and I had that issue with the Bletchley Circle as well, which I really liked a lot. And I don't know if PBS is ever, ever going to rerun it. but And that's, that's to me, a, that, I mean, it was like, I've never typed this sentence before. Yeah. The male characters... <laughs> are two-dimensional and are shoved to the sideline too much. I was like, what is happening? Yeah, it's, it's one of those good problems. <laughs> it's a good problem. It's not a bad I mean, it's so, like, odd to come across that you're almost, like, more impressed than anything. But, yeah, I didn't. I actually didn't have that issue with the, with the fall. I thought, you know, I mean, it was. it's very much super focused on Gillian Anderson's character, um, which I didn't necessarily have a problem with. But I think, again, that kind of goes to the idea that, like, if they had had six hours or seven um, like top of the lake, you know, had a little more time to kind of develop everybody. Um, I think that might have been helpful. I, I just wanted to quickly add before we get to top of the lake that uh, Jamie Dornan is is also fantastic, and it's got to be one of the most thankless roles mm-hmm. I can think yeah, of. Yeah, it's. I, I, I was really impressed with his work, no doubt. How are your knees? Pardon? You will go down hard. I've contacted one of their officers specially trained in dealing with sexual assault. Oh, yeah, what's his name? It's a here. Well, this is going to be painful. Who is the man that did this to you? So this is some kind of halfway recovery camp, is that right? There are a lot of women here in a lot of pain. Pain. You really want to shoot someone? Point right here. How long should be missing for? More than likely, she's already dead. Ah, Queenstown is a millionaire's playground. What they want, they get. You're a long way from any help. I am the help. Let's uh, let's transition then to to Top of the Lake, which is will be our final show we discuss here. Um, and this is, of course, a miniseries as opposed to a continuing series. And one of my first experiences with Jane Campion, I haven't still, I know, Simon, I still haven't made time to watch Shaking some more of her work. I'm sure I will love it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is such, just such a wonderful, I mean, I, I love miniseries. I love you know, when they're done well. I would love mystery series. And so to kind of combine them in this really interesting way, in in the way that it felt like The Killing wanted to establish itself in the fir- its first season, that is, as a successor to Twin Peaks. Uh, no, The Killing season one. Top of the Lake is doing it right. Such a fa- such an interesting series. Oh, totally. And I just, you know, from the very first frame, I thought, I'm in the hands of someone who knows what story they want to tell and what people they want to, you know, what the, Jane Campion knows, New Zealand, she knows this sort of terrain. It all felt, if, I, if this word makes any sense, really organic. Like it all came together in a way that I thought was exceptional, you know. And again, I think finding that balance between 
the crime drama and the characters can be tricky. You know, I think sometimes Rectify fell off the bus or the line a little bit and sort of like, you know, maybe was a little too meandering. Um, but it was trying to set a mood. It was trying to set a tone. Um, and I think that ultimately, you know, what it was trying to accomplish worked. But I think with Top the Lake, I just was more fascinated by each aspect of it the more I learned about this world. You know, Matt Mitchum and, and that weird family and what was going on there. Um, the whole issue of like the women's camp, I thought, and I thought it was kind of hilarious that the women's camp is this area to one side. And they're like, we don't, we just have, want to establish our own community, but they're depicted as real people and not like these perfect, you know, um, utopian dreamers, you know, they're very kind of, it was kind of a comical interlude when you would almost, a lot of the times when you would go there and then, you know, just Elizabeth Moss, I think it could have been a cliche. I mean, we've seen this character a million times, this kind of character, like the damaged detective, you know, working one last, you know, working a case that he or she can't let go of. And that could easily just be terrible, you know, and, and something we've just seen done too many times. But she was transfixing. And I, again, I, I, I so agree with something you said earlier, Kate, which is, I think it was you, Kate, but that <laughs> these things that come out of the blue as just kind of like, what was that? You know, I didn't even, wow, that that was really kind of fun and interesting. And I just didn't expect that from this quarter. Um, that was that was a tr- huge treat. We've uh, we briefly discussed doing a, potentially a, a best of TV of the first half of the year. But then we realized, I don't know that there's that much in the second half that's going to compete. So maybe it's pointless. But anyway, the... Um, I think this is a, another fantastic series. I think it's a shame that it's a miniseries and not a series, frankly, because I could have gone for another seven hours or another 70 hours. But don't but, you think in a way – I'm sorry. You go ahead, Kate. <laughs> you probably just say what I was going to say. Probably. Uh, but I, I feel like the story – this story of this case needed se- you know, seven parts, six, you know, depending on which cut you're watching. But it needed this amount of time. So mm-hmm. – I'm interested in following these characters further down the line, dropping in on them. Certainly, I would not say no to more Jane Campion and Gerard Lee created awesome with Elizabeth Moss and everybody else. But there's something I really appreciate the restraint of, no, this is a story we have to tell and this is how much time we need. Personally, for for this story, I, I do feel like the ending is a little abrupt, especially considering the pace of the rest of the show. I could have really gone for at least like a 15 minute come down because really things are solved and then it's over and you're like, what? Well, I think to me in a way it was almost a testament to how deeply I had kind of enmeshed my brain in this world. And so I, I kind of, I know where you're coming from and I really agree that, I mean, we're in, we're entering this interesting era where, you know, Veronica Mars can be revived and arrest development can be revived and people are talking about more Friday night lights and, you know, nothing that is dead has to stay dead. But I think, there's something really compelling about and also it, it, you're, you're communicating to the audience we're going to tell you a story with a beginning and a middle and an, a, and an end and then we're going to be done and to me that's a satisfying shape like i actually think american horror story didn't care for the first season really much the second season was great the second season was so great and maybe the third season i won't like it but I think the cool thing about this era is that we can mix and match. It does nothing. Nothing has to continue. Nothing has to not continue. You know, it's like it's it's based on, you know, a good storyteller listens to the story and knows when it's done. 
And if there's another side note to, you know, if she wants to follow GJ in her next commune or, you know, if some of the characters from uh, Top of the Lake emerge somewhere else, that's great. I don't mind. Um, but there's something reassuring about creators who kind of have a handle on what they want to do and how much time they need to do it. And they do that and they get out, you know, it's, well, it's nice. <laughs> well, I think these shows, especially this and rectify, they really show a way forward for uh, people who traditionally work in film to start getting involved in TV. And I mean, we, we've got now Steven Soderbergh talking about doing a series, Charlie Kaufman's doing something for FX. And I'm really excited for those things. But, you know, traditionally, it's not always a move that goes smoothly, although Soderbergh's already done a show, which I haven't watched yet. But anyway, I feel like, especially with Top of the Lake, it's you've got you get the best of both worlds because you've got Campion doing genre fare, which he tried to do in a movie and it didn't really work very well uh, within the cut. And uh, so she, here she gets another crack at it. It's much more confident. She plays to her strengths in terms of her elemental storytelling style. Uh, she didn't get the cast she initially wanted. It was supposed to be Anna Paquin, but she was uh, pregnant. So she went with Elizabeth Moss, which apparently cost her funding. Uh, but it worked out in the end because I think she's absolutely incredible. And uh, the the whole cast is fantastic. I think that her particular attention to gender politics is handled in a really interesting way. I mean, just in the opposing camps alone, in terms of you know, the Mitchum compound versus the um uh the the commune or, or whatever you'd like to call it versus Tui who's off in her own universe entirely um i mean that stuff is all terribly interesting and funny which i wasn't necessarily anticipating uh i don't know it's just there's so much going on here that is so particular to campian style that that's what has me you know you you want if you're talking about the you know what's in- interesting about these short form narratives what what interests me is the way these uh these auteurs are coming in who know how to shape a shorter story and seeing how that comes into play yeah i think that's a great point because i think um we are seeing you know obviously in the last 10 years we've seen more and more film people migrate to television and what i've tended to notice is that quite often when someone says okay now write sit down and write 13 hours of tv or 13 half hours of tv I don't necessarily know that they always know how to do that. It's a really, really, like, it's a very strange but definitely necessary skill set. And, you know, like, um, I really like Diablo Cody's writing for film, but when she came over to do, um, uh, what was the... United States of Terra. United States of Terra. The first season of that I thought was really problematic because I think it, it was just a problem that I've seen in many, many series, which is... Each hour of tell or each hour or each half hour needs to have its own shape within itself. It can't just be, oh, well, I'll just make you know a longer movie, you know, and split it into chunks. And I think even Game of Thrones, kind of in the early days, suffered from that. Like it's just a sense that like here's a blob of stuff that links up to the next blob of stuff and <laughs> mush them all together, and it's a story. I mean, it's hard to do. It's a it's a weird, difficult skill, but. Um, I'm really glad that there are more forms available to people to experiment with. You know, I think um, Ryan Murphy is someone who, you know, has his his attention just flickers around and not, you know, he's that's you see that within his shows, like from scene to scene, things will just go from farce to tragedy to musical to whatever, you know, like there's a lot of different things being thrown into the pot. And so it makes more sense to give him that um 
that freedom to play with. And so with Top of the Lake, though, I think what was so heartening about it is that it felt like this is someone who knows the story they want to tell, and they're not necessarily having trouble with the pacing issues. I, I think maybe I'm being kinder than someone who saw it week to week would be in that, you know, like I got to watch it mo- like over a series of like two or three days. So it was more, <laughs> you know, I kind of saw it all at once. But um, I, to me, the shape of that, the size of it, the scope of it, it all re- worked really well. And I agree. I mean, basically, I don't know if you guys saw Soderbergh um, wrote – gave us a, a keynote speech yes yeah um and that got around i guess it maybe wasn't supposed to but i thought it was such a really interesting analysis of the state of film and that you know as we all know film production for most of the mainstream studios is heading more and more and more in the, in the um realm of higher budget big ticket films that can play all around the world well as that happens I mean, as the commercial pressures mount, they have to narrow and narrow and narrow the kinds of things they're willing to do. And so there'll be their, you know, 10 or 15 Oscar bait movies per year. And then the rest, you know, are just maybe there'll be something that gets made for 50 million bucks. But that's really rare. Whereas I bet, you know, you could make (laughs) four different top of the lakes for, you know, for one $50 million budget. So to me, it makes sense that filmmakers are continuing to find cable and and television makers all over the world who are willing to work with them. And it's not just HBO does the latest Scorsese thing. It's like this is a whole range of people finding a venue for their storytelling. Before we run out of time, because we are almost out of our time, there are a couple things I did uh, want to make sure to mention. First of all, Spoiler alert! <laughs> Everyone who hasn't seen Top of the Lake yet, you're, you're, I'm going to talk about the ending. So just, it's a murder mystery, you know, well, not necessarily murder, bad things mystery. You've been warned. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of of, of the success or failure of the, the ending of Top of the Lake was going to come down to if it made sense and if the the answer was not necessarily it didn't have to be surprising but if it if it felt truthful and if it if it if it fit with everything that came before and i think the various different representations we get throughout the series of masculinity from from somebody like matt who's also so strong but also so weak to somebody like jono to like all these different characters and and then then following that with the reveal of of al as running this this pedophilia sort of horrible sex ring Mm -hmm. it was it the answer at the end was so satisfying and i thought david Mm -hmm. wendham's performance was fantastic when you when you know what you know you go back to the earlier parts of the the series and it at least for me it's holy works Mm -hmm. yeah he was fantastic i mean you know all the actors that they pulled in for that production were phenomenal and I I don't think there was a weak link in any of that. Uh, obviously Elizabeth Moss was had to do a lot of heavy lifting and I was just rereading uh a reading a piece uh in one of the trades about like um Jane Campion was saying that the fi- one of the last scenes that Elizabeth Moss did was in GJ's container, you know, when she finally ends up there after this horrible like discovery that she's made and she's just sort of spent and and her life is completely coming unraveled. 
um, they had to film that like in the second week. It was like one of their first days of filming. So, but she, she was like, I couldn't believe it. You know, Lizzie was just so great in it. And um, so, so she was great. I, I just think um, GJ was one of those take it or leave it characters, but she, I found her absolutely fascinating. I thought she was awesome. And I thought, you know, uh, Holly Hunter made a series of very specific choices with that character and I loved that she was very consistent and she was just so perfect and precise with everything about that character and really contained which I think, you know, she's she's often known for playing these characters that are kind of larger than life and, but she's specifically channeled like you could see the energy within her but like she just was very um, constrained or contained or keeping trying to keep it a lid on it and that, I thought that was was terrific but um, yeah, Wenin was was terrific. Um, the whole the whole thing from a performance standpoint was as good as any movie I've seen in the last couple of years. Well, and I have to mention Jacqueline and Joe as Tui because that character she was also the character was very well written. They wrote mm-hmm. for her so so fantastically as well. But I cared so much about that little girl when when it's revealed that she is indeed alive i was like ecstatic i was so happy yeah and we hadn't even seen her for most of the run of the series well because yeah. it's besides the fact that she's a great character it's such a nice it's so unlike every other story of this ilk i mean if you think of the killing if you think of twin peaks i mean the those those characters rosie larson um God, laura palmer the, Laura Palmer, thank you. They're defined by their victimhood and the fact that they're very, very dead. Yeah. And uh, so finding out that she's alive is is definitely a joyous moment. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Peter Mullen, who plays Matt, and he's fantastic, as always, channeling, so almost channeling David Thewlis in uh, Mike Lee's Naked a little bit. And um, I, I guess the only thing I wanted to say about the ending is that, honestly, not a whole lot that unravels in the last couple episodes you couldn't have guessed a little bit earlier, but I think what I really, one of the things I really value about Top of the Lake is that it prizes being satisfying and being emotionally resonant and providing you with, with fantastic imagery and performances way, way more than it, than it, you know, than it values being surprising. Yeah. I read a lot of crime fiction and I think that that's what Top of the Lake and The Fall have in common, and even Rectify have in common with it, which is that, I mean, even a good Agatha Christie, I mean, I'm not even, you know, going to, there's a lot of modern crime novelists that I think are great. It's much more about why are people the way they are? What makes them tick? What damages? How are they damaged? How do they resist that? Or how do they give into that? And I think, you know, Top of the Lake absolutely was fascinated with Tui, was fascinated with her father. Um, it was about these people. And no one was a stand-in. You know, like you see so often, like, well, here's the you know, victim girl character and you don't really know about her. And it's just sort of like this sort of idea or, you know, cardboard cutout or collection of traits. Um, and Kate, you were talking earlier about female characters that were underwritten. None of the characters here were really underwritten. Um, they really all felt like real people. And that's, you know, such a joy to behold. And, and again, like it, to me, it all comes back to are the people who are telling the story fascinated by the people in it? fascinated by where it's going then there's a good chance i will be too and not just fascinated by the lead or the anti-hero but by everyone peopling that world right Mm -hmm. it's not just an idea or a twist it's like if 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 only the twist is fascinating to these people it's gonna be like "Eh, i don't care i don't have time for that but it's why the twist matters and resonates that's that's when you get something good 
And that might be part of the problem I had with Doctor Who all season. But that's a discussion for another time. We definitely need to have that discussion, probably, because I'm, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Oh, man. But the um, I, I, the last, I do have two final things, and then I'll throw it to you guys for final thoughts and be all done. Uh, I, I do want to, again, stress that I loved that with Tui, unlike with Laura Palmer, unlike with Rosie Larson, we don't find out that she has this checkered past and that she really has been a bad girl doing drugs or getting into trouble there's nothing to negate to attempt to negate her victimhood mm-hmm. and and to to there's there's no possible way she's 12 and she's pregnant there is no way that she did anything wrong that could allow you know mitigate what happened to her and they do they have the same like i said earlier they had the same respect on rectify for hannah and they have the same respect on the fall for for the victims there and i just i so appreciate that measured approach and then the last thing i'll say is just it's gorgeous it's wonderful to look at the cinematography is amazing and it's it's like we said earlier campion knows new zealand she knows what she's filming and it's if if lord of the rings didn't make me want to go visit it this did as well in a different less elfy and more kind of creepy but gorgeous <laughs> <Less> way <elfy. laughs> you want to you don't want to go for elfish reasons now <laughs> Well, do you guys have any? Uh, well, I mean, elf as well. I mean, come on. I can I can go to Rivendell and Moria and the and the Shire, and then I can go to Paradise. Yeah, know? sounds good. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Yeah, I'll just echo your final thought that I think it was really um, it was beautiful to look at some some gorgeous shots and some amazing just intimate heart-wrenching things and beautiful landscape and just it all to me read like a love letter to someone who knows a country really well and cares about it and wanted to you know sort of really really capture it in a way that captured all of its ambiguous attractions you know anyone who's from a place you know you both love it and you hate it and you know it irritates you and you you, there are things you, you make you really nostalgic so I think that's what came through to me. Um, I guess if I have any, any other final thought, it's just that I'm so excited to see more of all of these shows and definitely, you know, Orphan Black and um, some of the other shows we didn't even get to, but I'm really um, glad that it's not just the top three or four networks that we're looking to, to kind of supply the things that we get excited about, you know, I mean, to me, it's right now, a lot of cool things are happening in television. So I'm keeping my eyes on the margin for sure. Simon, any final thoughts? Yeah. uh, Just specifically on top of the lake, for some reason it, the lasting image of top of the lake for me is the one woman who's, who's staying in the, in the shelter uh, commune, her daughter and her guitar. And whenever she'd show up and she's playing a Bjork tune at one point, and I don't know, you, you never really find out anything about her, but, just uh, images like that just popping up out of nowhere and sounds they are just so unlike anything else uh, kicking around have me hopeful that Campion will come back to television at some point and do something else if she's not going to do more of this. And, and just generally I'm, I'm hoping that shows like this inspire other uh, artists who don't normally work in television uh, that there is sort of, if not, it's not exactly a middle option between TV and film, but it's kind of close. And, uh, and I, th- I think that th- there are case studies and how people like that can approach television and not stumble horribly like some people have. Indeed. Well, thank you, Maureen, so much for coming on the podcast again. Where can our listeners find you online? 
So many options. Yes, so many options. Uh, HuffingtonPost.com slash TV. Um, you'll find a button with my name on it. We have tons of other great TV stuff by our whole team as well. And then um, I should have a handy thing in mind for our podcast. But if you just put into your search engine, Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, it should take us to one of the places you can find us, either on iTunes or we have our own um, site as well. So just you should be able to find that. Or you can go to uh, Ryan McGee. He's at TV McGee on Twitter, and I'm at Mo Ryan on Twitter. So we're always tweeting links to the podcast. So um, we've talked about some of those shows on on our podcast as well. But I'm always happy to come on uh, the Televerse podcast and chat away with with you fine folks. Thank you so much, and again, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.